Episode 155 of the Bevan James Isles Show, an interview with Rion Nolan. Radio team, welcome along to episode 155 of the Bevan James Isles Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Um, pretty excited about today's interview actually, I've got an interview with a guy called Rion Nolan. Um, many people overseas probably won't know Rion, but if you're in New Zealand, you may have heard of him. Um, he's His story's phenomenal, uh, I've got to be honest, and it's... Uh, he kind of, it's interesting actually, because I gave up Ironman about 2008, so I kind of got out of the endurance sport world around that time, and I think he must have started cycling around that time, um, and became a very, very kind of top level New Zealand cyclist, you know, not on the world scale, but in New Zealand became a, a pretty decent cyclist, um, and had a story um, that, well you're going to hear it, a phenomenal story of turning your life around and then has turned his life around in a really powerful way using movement and sport and you know for his own self-discovery but then also now he's put a lot of his time and energy into helping uh, underprivileged kids basically have better lives using sport and providing resources and just fundraising as a foundation uh, just a special person to be honest and so I just thought I'd love to get him on the show because I've never actually met the guy um, but I've just heard a lot of great things about him and uh, I just heard a lot of people who say oh you need to get the Rion on so I kind of thought well I better get it done so I contacted him last week and he said yep coming on so gonna get him on the show pretty soon now before I get into the main gist with Rion I just want to make a comment um the value of helping somebody else the value of helping somebody else um I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago how I, I had a, a couple episodes ago how I had a session with a runner and I helped them break through a barrier they maybe didn't think was possible and uh, you know that day was quite a rewarding thing I think they'd never you know they did do 2.4k for the police trial that was doing a guy called John lovely guy um, and John was trying to get into the police force and in New Zealand the police force is a fitness test that you have to do and when he came and saw me, he basically, at that stage, he didn't think he was going to be fast enough in the run, and he needed to get the run up a little bit faster. And then I gave him a program, we caught up about, about another six weeks later, and I gave him another program, we caught up, and he was a little bit despondent because he didn't feel he was making the breakthroughs that he needed to make. Um, and so on that day, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but on that day I went for... Uh, a session with him and we broke through those barriers big time well he had his has had his police fitness test uh last week and going into this whole thing and working with me he said that ultimately he would love to go under 10 minutes and 15 minutes for 2.4 k's and when we first started running he was probably more realistically in the mid 11s now uh, to lose a minute 15 and a, and a 2.4 it's a lot of effort. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but 2.4 is not a long distance. And to lose, you know, anything over a minute or so, you know, is a pretty pretty good challenge. So he worked really hard for probably about well, two months, two, three months. Worked really hard over this time period. And again, last time we caught up, I think he did like a 10.45. So we kind of designed a plan for him on his day. Um, and we kind of, I did a bit of a taper going into it. And I designed a plan. I said to him, look, you know, let's aim for the 10.15, but if you know you're going to blow up, 
try to conserve so you still get under 1045 because there's basically points for, for time. Um, 1015 was better points. Uh, it was, you know, once you went over 1045 or maybe around 11, you kind of started to get into a points factor he didn't want to go into. Well, last Wednesday he did a test and I was kind of excited for him. I was kind of curious to see how it went. And But it's hard when you're trying to guide someone towards growth because you do everything you can, but they've still got to do the work themselves on the day. They've still got to pull it off. And it's one of the things I often talk to my runners about it. You know, you can train well, but you've also got to be able to deliver on the day. And it's a different skill. And so I knew he was doing it around lunchtime, and then about one o'clock I got an email from him just saying he absolutely smashed it. I think he did nine minutes and 40-something seconds. So he was well exceeded our expectations of him going into it. And he just, you know, he was over the moon. And uh, I rang him later on, actually rang him the next day, we had to talk to him. And he was just, you know, it was just one of those real breakthrough moments in life, you know. But why am I sharing this with you today? Helping people is one of the greatest rewards in life. And I was actually speaking to a lovely couple with my running group, Johnny and Deb, uh, the other night. And we are just talking about, you know, it's interesting how our body will reward us for good behaviors. And what do I mean by that? Like when you exercise, we get the endorphin release, don't we? Our body kind of gives us this reward for doing something really great. And it, it's, kind of, it's kind of telling you, hey, you should do more of this because I'll, I'll, I'll give you more of this good feeling if you keep doing this for me. And then, and also, if we look at how the body responds to exercise and you adapt and you get fitter and stronger and leaner and all the rest of it. Well, it's funny how when you help somebody, it's a similar type of thing. And with John, that was what I experienced. Like when I got his email and, and he's, you know, he like... You know, again, as a coach, you're kind of hoping they pull it off, and then you've also got to prepare that if they don't do it, you've got to kind of give that speech, you know, or what happened, and you know, and all the kind of rest of it. When I opened his email, it was like I had done the race. It was like I felt, not not in regards to the credit of it, but just I knew how he felt when he got across that finish line. He saw his time because I felt the same emotion. I felt amazing. In that moment. And it kind of goes back to that kind of thing about exercise. That our body responds to exercise in a way that rewards us. And I kind of think that helping others and giving to others is also another way that our, our, our life tries to tell us, you should do more of this. Because I know John felt phenomenal. But... I felt phenomenal as well. And and the the thing about these things that I'm very fortunate to be a part of people's lives of is, is John kind of at the end of his email said, I couldn't have done it without you. And, and, you know, I'm a guide. I'm here to stand beside him and kind of guide him in a way that helps him wisely get to his goal. But but let's be honest, John did 99% of the work. I, I, I was just someone who kind of, you know, sat beside him and gave him some tips along the way. He did all the work. He takes all the credit. But I do feel just as great as he feels. And uh, and I've got to make sure I do those things in my own life. Um, I just think it's a really important lesson that life rewards you when you help others. And it's interesting, if we go back to the end of my last podcast where I did that 14, 14, 14, what was it, 14 compliments, 14 days for 14 different people. And on the last day, you have to compliment yourself 14 times as well. Something like that, I can't remember the criteria of it. And my mate Porno sent me through a text. He actually sent me a compliment. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere, and I was kind of wasn't really sure what it was about. I'm just pulling up my phone right now. Um, here we go. Let's go, Sean. I'm just going to my little my little messages here. Sean just sent me a message, and he just said to me, um, what did he say? 
you're great at pushing others to be great. You're great at pushing others to be great. And it kind of came out of nowhere. And I kind of wasn't sure. And then he just said, oh, he's just doing the 14, 14, 14 challenge. And when he gave me that text, I felt really great. Like I did. I thought, oh, what a nice thing to get. And I forgot that he was, you know, I know Porno listens to this show. So I, I didn't realize he was doing this as a part of a process. And even after the fact, I know his words were genuine. I don't think he was doing it just because. But it made me feel really good. It's, it's quite a simple thing, isn't it? Just to help others. Like it really is. So if you want to feel good in your life, do things to help others. It's, it's a simple formula. Do things to help others because there's something about a human being that wants us to do that. It's kind of like as a species, we're designed to help each other be better. Fascinating when you think about it, isn't it? Anywho, I'm going to just quickly say a big thank you to all my patrons. And if you are a patron of the show, I do appreciate the support you give the show. Seriously, um, it means a huge amount to me and it keeps me doing what I'm doing. And when you become a patron of the Bevan James Oil Show, you get a cool nickname. And these people have cool nicknames. We've got Amanda, super duper amazing Amanda, Coleman Watson. We've got Ali, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee brown. We've got uh, Priscilla. Uh, Love Me Tender or All Shook Up King. We've got Esther, the golden one, Ching Green. We've got Sam, Squiggly Wiggly Arms, Green. We've got Olivia, Wonder Girl, Alice Garland. And we've got, oh, here we go, Dr. Sustain, Sean Barnes, a.k.a. Porno. Uh, these people all support this show. If you want to support the show, basically just go onto my website. And actually, this is exciting, we're changing the website. My website is very dated. <laughs> I think I did it in, in the mid-2000s, so it's a very dated website. Uh, and it's currently in the process of getting changed. Like We're hopefully to transfer it over next week. And the patrons uh, who have contributed to this, so you're just helping me spread the work of what I'm doing. So go to my website, look up for the show notes, and look for the Patreon link, uh, and then you just go on there. So go into blog and podcast on the new website, and you'll see a Patreon link there, and then you can just put a little bit of money towards each time I release the show, and it really, really helps me do what I do. So that's, uh, that's it for the patrons. Uh, I'm going to do the main interview of the show. Here is Rion right now. Rightio, Tim, I'm very excited to have uh, a man I've heard a lot about over the years, um, but I've never actually met, which is kind of bizarre, because I think our, our lives cross paths just slightly. I was did Ironman for years, and I think you must have just started cycling. I did a lot of cycle racing when I was doing Ironman, and I gave up yeah. in 2008, and, yeah. and I think maybe you came onto the scene maybe around that time or late, early 2000s? Yeah, around that time. Yeah, around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was never a great cyclist, but I did okay in a couple of kind of local races. But um, but your name is <laughs> your name comes up a lot. So this is Rio Nolan. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, bro. Yeah, if I guess. Yeah. So, um, so maybe where do we start with you? You've got a pretty fascinating story. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh where I'm, where I'm at right now is uh, pretty awesome, actually. So at the moment, I'm like a youth worker, um, youth advocate, um, advisor to a lot of other trusts and, and support a lot, of, a lot of trusts in the community, working with uh, young people in the community that are, you know, haven't had a very good start to life um, and use, I guess, sports and exercise um, as a bridge or a way into their lives um, and waiting for the therapeutical moment to happen out in the forest or on the bike ride and mountain bike race or in the car drive to or from these places. Um, yeah, and I, I just 
am a try to be a positive person in their life, maybe for the first time, or uh, because of my past, uh, I've got an easier way in than a lot of other youth workers, social workers have, psychologists yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, they kind of trust me a little bit uh, sooner than the others. Um, yeah, I guess that's where I'm at today. And I work a lot, you know, alongside some pretty cool people that let me work alongside their agencies. Um, yeah, it's pretty epic, actually. And, and where, kind of where, how my life started, um, you know, I was one of these young people mm. um, that was born into a, a you know, a toxic environment. Um, drugs, alcohol, violence, gangs, motorbikes, uh, you know, surrounded by that stuff. Uh, this is stuff that I've seen, you know, as soon as I was born, this is the first thousand days that I was, my core beliefs were getting formed about, um, violence, you know, all that kind of stuff, the smells of drugs, um, just being totally surrounded by it um, and thinking that was normal and okay um, and not knowing the difference, to be really honest. Um, and always felt, yeah, that I had no one really to talk to, really. Um, and, yeah, that's, that was, that's, that, that's how my life started, you know. So, um so you know, you know, there's levels that you want to share and don't want to share. But like, where did where was kind of the worst? Where was the turning point? And what was the you know? Because often I find it's interesting because I came from I have a similar background, although I don't think it was actually it's not a similar. But I was I was a dropkick who turned my life around. Um, but yeah. I I definitely didn't come from an environment that was maybe as challenging as yours was. Um, yeah. And so. Yeah. Um, it's interesting when you've never, like I've done some talks to youth jails, kids and stuff as well, and you kind of go to them and you kind of think they never had a chance. You know, that yeah. you know from day one, these kids have never been given nurturing, love, guidance, yeah. you know, any of those types of things. Whereas for me, I kind of had those things, but was wayward and then kind of found myself. What's it like being brought up in an environment where you actually know any different? And then what shifts? Like to get to, to, to give you like a good like a view of kind of my my family home, like you know the big turning point is my father got murdered. You know, oh, like when wow. I was twelve. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I thought my dad was fully covered in tattoos. The only thing that wasn't tattooed was his face behind his ears, head, nuts. And, and this is before tattoos were cool. You know, like yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this, yeah. So you, that's a good point actually because now tattoos are kind of normalised. Yeah. But back in the day, you know, my dad was a crazy white man. You know, yeah. crazy G. So. Um, you know, and I, I feared my father, and a lot of people did, you know. Uh, and, you know, it was pretty crazy for me for him to get murdered. Um, How old were you? Uh, 12. Wow. Yeah, and I and I remember, like, I remember I was on my top bunk, I heard my mother screaming. Um, and, yeah, I, the first time I kind of, I tucked myself in with the duvet on my top bunk, and I just, it was my little safe cocoon. I didn't want to come out and face the reality that dad's gone, my life is you know, over, I felt, you know. Um, I didn't know how to process feelings and all this kind of stuff and, you know, didn't know how to communicate with people, ask for help, talk about the stuff that I had going on. It's from that day there that I felt abandoned, alone, uh, and I started searching for, for things or anything that would make me feel better. And what I found was a group of boys in the neighbourhood, you know, and they were they were doing little petty crimes like doorstepping people's shoes, you know, like creeping up your driveway and taking a pair of shoes, clothesline shopping when you do your washing, or, you know, and I was often on the streets, you know. There's no rules, nothing. I was just, you know, free terrain, really. And I said, that made me feel better because at home I felt so shit inside. Wow. You know, dad's gone. I felt alone, lost. Uh, and by giving me these, taking these shoes and, and, and the clothes and the, the the kind of trust I got on this crew of boys on the, on the, in the neighbourhood made me feel like I was something for five minutes. And it, it 
it was a skill that I taught myself. It was illegal and stupid and creative victims totally wrong. But I was a 12-year-old kid trying to teach myself how to feel better because I didn't have it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the path that I chose. And it just grew and grew and grew. And what happened from there is, you know, my first thing that I took was, uh, you know, sniffing glue, petrol from the lawnmower. And instantly, you know, my life, you know, went, went that way. You know, I, I, I taught myself by sniffing glue in a bag out of the petrol, the lawnmower. It gave me a high because at home I felt alone, ashamed, you know, that kind of stuff. And when I was with my friends taking these things and huffing and puffing away, it healed me for five minutes. You know, it was all false, but it gave me that, that, that release and I kept chasing that. Um, and then it kind of just spiraled out of control. I just, I went to my first foster home. I went to thinking, you know, it was pretty cool. And, you know, the adults there taught me how to break into houses. They had about 10 to 15 of them. Right, the adults taught you and how to break into houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, wow. that, and if I didn't do that, yeah, bro, if I didn't do that, I would get severely beaten up. Really? Um, and these, these are people and, through the foster system? Yeah, bro, 100%. 100%. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, and for me, you know, like, for me, it was like, oh, I thought I was going to be saved. Uh, and holy, what's going on here? There's a government people doing this. And, and you know, so I just had to fit in. I've become a people pleaser. I'll do whatever you say because I had a new mum and dad now and they fed me, they gave me money and that kind of stuff. But they're also doing some pretty sick stuff on the side to not just me, a lot of other young people that yeah. were just like me. And, you know, from there I got, I got arrested and I got arrested for, you know, I wasn't thinking about other people's feelings, victims, nothing like that. All I was trying to do was impress these, the mother and father, the new role models in my life, um, and, the, and the people around me, you know, about the, the respect on the streets, the, yeah. the pride, the ego. It was all false, and I was just chasing that to make me feel better. It was five minutes of fame, and, and it was working, but also creating victims, and also a lot of pain inside was getting pushed and suppressed away, you know, deep even further down. You know, I got arrested. I got done for like seventy something burglaries, um, possession of firearms, explosives, all this kind of crazy stuff. As a like thirteen year old now, went to another foster home, and yeah, and I actually thought, um, you know, oh, okay, shit, the government's got me again. Like, I'll go to a nice home, and it wasn't the case. You know, like they were teaching us how to shoplift in this one through oh, Arthur Barnett and Valentine. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, bro. Like, um, and for me, it was like, oh fuck. Now I've got another set of role models you know the government's taking me you know normal people i thought are taking me and now they're making me do more illegal stuff and you know i, I can't i couldn't stand up to them now i'm like 13 and a half 14 you know like and my resentment for the community you know was just growing my yeah. misunderstanding of like just everything was just getting just thrown up really um and you know the real me was getting pushed down i actually didn't know who i was and you know, from there I went to a, boy, a proper boys' home. I've been there five times, Kingsley Residential Boys' Home, which yep. massive organisation. You know, and you know, I had five sentences there of three elevens, which is three months. Um, and you know, there I got sexually abused from my case manager. Uh, he grew me for over a year, give me gifts, give me presents, and this guy became my father. And yeah, he, he basically got me shoes, put me on the best jobs in there, which you know, food is quite important in the foster homes. Yeah, and then he, yeah, then he obviously sexually abused me, and you know that was a pinnacle moment for me. You know, one was my father getting murdered, you know, finding the crew on the streets, um, learning how to use drugs and alcohol to to make me feel better falsely, um, and then when I got sexually abused from a caseworker, you know, I hated commu the community because I thought well, that, every that, role that's, model that's, I that's had meant now, to be trust, isn't it? And and you've been yeah, 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 
Yeah, yeah, and that, and I just felt betrayed, eh? And I, I just, I had this deep-seated resentment, you know, that I, I hated everyone and I was going to... Now I'm getting older, so I can understand right from wrong. Mm. Earlier, like, you can give me a bit of leeway because I was getting taught to do these things mm. and I was pretty confused. But now I'm getting old, I know right from wrong, but I, I'm still stuck and I don't have any other schools. I still couldn't spell my middle name, couldn't read, couldn't write. Um, yeah, like, so my self-worth was so, so low. Um, and... Yeah, so I got out of there. Uh, I actually broke out of there, left a note, um, which I've got as police evidence around here somewhere. But I, I was stuck then, you know. And the only skills I had to heal and make myself feel better was like crime, doing mm. drugs, selling drugs, uh, assaulting people, other criminals. That's all you know. Um, and so, yeah, and, and associating with pretty bad people, you know, that are just like me. And 16, went to prison for the first time. No youth wing, no baby jails. Back then, it was I was a mainstream, and it was a pretty pretty scary place to be. What's that um, like? And because What's that like when you go to prison? Oh, bro, it's pretty for me. Like I was in I was in Eddington Prison, bro, crazy. So in Eddington Prison, old school jail, no toilets in your cells. My first cellmate was a big ass bikey dude. When I was in the RO, the receiving office, you know, massive fight between the epitaph riders and the road knights. You know, these guys bit of ear off, snapped arms, like crazy stuff going on. And I'm just a 16-year-old kid with a, a orange jumpsuit on, or, orange overalls with my new Nikes, telling myself, if anyone tries to take my shoes, I'm going to knock them out. You know, that's what you... Yeah. You don't want anybody, you know, beat you up to code of the street. Um, so that's what I was kind of born into. And, and, and this, is, this is where I ended up. And I remember, you know, just wanting to grab the prison officers, uh, the screws, bloody up legs, and say... I don't belong here. I'm 16. Take me away. Like, yeah. this, you've got it all wrong. Like, I know I've done wrong, but I'm in a room with people with mokus or tattoos on their face and every gang. And, you know, I was like, am I going to get raped? Am I going to, you know, like, and I was like, I've got to stand up for myself. You know, I've got to yeah. do it for the streets. You know, I'm in a little crew now. <clears throat> um, and, you know, I, I got sailed up with a, a, a Pacific Island follower in there, uh, Dave Lay, Duty Dave Lay. And, you know, it was pretty crazy. He kind of saved my life, to be really honest. He taught me the ways, how to survive in there, what to do, what not to do. Um, he looked after me, you know, and uh, I learned the trade of the jail, making money in there, bringing drugs in, bringing drugs out, cell phones in, but that whole thing that happens in there. But, I mean, nothing ever happened to me in there because all my friends were in there from the streets, you know oh, what I mean? So okay. if you're an outsider, if you're an outsider going in, then something's going to happen to you. You're going to yeah. get stood over, you're going to get extorted, you know, um, Potentially, most definitely. Uh, but because I was from the streets, I was okay in that sense. Um, and, you know, this my image now and my self-worth falsely was getting high. Mm, but based on, like, on, on, a, on a corrupt world. Yeah, yeah. 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 And my, my image of myself, I'm, I'm cool, I'm, you know, like this kind of thing. I got out thinking I was 10 foot tall. You know, alcohol every single day, drugs every single day, gambling, crime, everything you can think of. There was nothing of changing my way whatsoever because nothing had even tried to change me to this point. And I wouldn't actually let anybody in because because of the sexual abuse, any social worker counsellor that tried to help me stay out. Well, well, that, well of course, because how, how can you trust anyone who's tried to change you because they've all let you down? Yeah, 100%. And yeah, so, and then from there, that just, my life just, just it's, you know, the I was like a tornado in the, in the community, you know, um, and I got a, my next sentence, for a 17-year-old, was pretty long. It was five years. Um, and, and a few years of that in Papara, I lived in the prison there. All my friends were there. Like, 
for then it was prison was just fine because that's where I lived. And my, you know, the most time I've ever spent with my brothers was in prison, you know, in the same wing. Yeah, all my cousins were all through, you know, a generational thing. And um, it was, it was kind of, it was sad, but it's like I always used to get drug tested the most because the prison officers, I was always so happy in there. Like, it's crazy, yeah, like just playing sport, organizing touch games, you know, wing competitions, uh, table tennis, darts, just. And I was always so happy in there. And looking back, bro, I, I was. And I, I don't know. I don't know why. I, I truly don't know why. And you know, I met a guy inside the prison, a guy named Jeffro, and he um, he was in jail for a, a long time. And he he changed while he was in prison. Um, and I sat on a few groups out in Rolleston Prison over there in the Co-Fi Drug and Alcohol Unit. And uh, <clears throat> he was challenging the, the inmates. And this is not what you do as an inmate, you know saying we need to get our kids back we're doing this and stop bringing the drugs in it was pretty awesome to see but also scary you know mm. um and he got out graduated a few programs and started working in a rehabilitation center and he started writing me letters bro and uh saying get out come play rugby league come play touch rugby come jogging with me and i was like uh you're a male i'll keep you over here because yeah. i'm used to that you know so i kept him at a distance you know i got my parole board and went to this uh, drug and alcohol centre, and uh, he bought me a pair of rugby league boots and trainers straight away, which broke procedure and policy. You're not allowed to do that, but he done it. Mm. Um, and he really tried to get me to open up and group with the other staff there as well, which was pretty epic. Um, but, you know, my core beliefs were alcohol is okay, I can still smoke dope, and I can sell a bit of crack here and there or ecstasy on the weekends. And, mm. you know, and I still wouldn't talk about sexual abuse, my father's murder, and stuff that happened to me as a younger person. I couldn't look look within mm. um so everything was doomed to fail because my foundation was faulty you know and um yeah and then from there you know with those kind of core beliefs that were held on to you know it's failed so i went back to prison i got seven years eight months two weeks and then you know it's a bit of a long sentence for someone to you know standing in the dock with my two car offenders going holy sh-, you know this is a long time in jail and I done a few years of that, and the rehab didn't give up on me, and neither did Jeffro. I keep writing me letters, and uh, but I, you know, had to kick it with the boys to be safe in there, and um, yeah, got released again to that rehab. Uh, so how do how do you know again. when you got released? Well, uh, 19, 20, uh, 22 maybe, okay. twenty one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so most of my birthdays have been in institutions or prisons, and all special occasions have just all been locked up, like wow. just like everyone else out there. Um, and yeah, like I'd, I'd done a few years of that, go to do the drug and alcohol program again. Jeffro gets me out to the rehab with the, all the other awesome staff there. And same, same situation again. Got me league boots, touch at Hagley Park, Papanoi Rugby League. Wow, this is amazing. But my core beliefs, you know, were my negative associates, the gang, the people that I used to kick it with. You know, alcohol was the number one offender as well. Um, and, and dope, you know. And, you know, everything was yet again, just those few little things were going to pull me back. And, um, I just started, anything was doomed to fail. So I, I got into some violent trouble with, it, with another gang of people. Went back to prison for 18 months, had to do nine months out of that. And uh, that was a hard nine nine months out of 18 because um, I didn't, I knew, I was like, I don't want to come back here. This is crazy. Jeffro is right and all the other people are right oh, now. Okay. Got, got into some pretty serious trouble in there, um, nearly died, all that kind of stuff. and. <laughs> That kind of stuff. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I won't go on through, but uh, yeah, like it was pretty, pretty scary, and uh, survived it, um, and got out to the rehab again. They helped me again, and they said to me, "Go to another rehab, go into an alcohol drug program detention center, uh, and 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 uh, Walsham, which is shut down now, which is a shame." And uh, done that program as well. 
graduated there, eventually started volunteering there, volunteering at both rehabs, uh, got my first job, got my learner's licence, you know, just started this slow process uh, back into the community setting, talking about my sexual abuse and all that kind of stuff, letting go of all the hatred, you know, negative associates or people saw that were like me, you know, not that I'm hating on those people because I, I understand it all. Just, you know, I had to learn to be alone and be comfortable with myself, mm. um, you know, and, you know, I had a beautiful partner at the time and she helped me through all of this. She was from, from Fiend Dalton, beautiful home, and she was like an angel, you know. The whole family was looking after me this whole time. They put up with a lot, you know, of my my disgusting behaviours and, um, and, you know, I'm not with her anymore, but they've had a pivotal role in my life today um, and guiding me through all these sentences and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, and then eventually started, got him, started to get, sit in these groups trying to change people's lives and I was like, this is awesome, you know, but, but still, I had to, I had to look within and face myself. I had to do a moral inventory, you know, mm. resentment, hatred, fear, worries, concerns, debt. I owed forty six thousand dollars to wins, the courts, you know, reparation, all this kind of stuff. I had to unwind. Couldn't even spell. Couldn't even, you know, look myself in the mirror. The the pride, ego issues, you know, a lot of stuff to even look at. Um, you know, the victims that I was creating, you know, all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, helping men that were just like me and group, you know, I, I felt it so inspirational. I'm working alongside now that guy, Jeffro at Salisbury Street. I was like, holy hell, I'm, an, I'm a group facilitator. This is crazy. Wow. I'm working on the rec dates, doing sports, you know. Um, I had to stop playing rugby league because it was, it was, I couldn't understand how you could be angry on the field and someone could hit you, you could hit them back, but off the field you get charged for it. Okay. You know, so... I, I had to stop the one sport that I loved, mm-hmm. you know, um, because it was I couldn't Real handle disconnect. the justifiable anger. Uh, it was a good decision I made, and I stopped out drinking alcohol, hundred percent. I can't handle alcohol. I can't do any drugs whatsoever, mm. um, and I can't hang around anybody doing that kind of stuff to a you know in a, in a negative kind of way. Um, I did a charity bike ride with Jeff Bro for victim support from Queenstown to Christchurch with three lifers. You know, uh, there was about six guys all from, from prison, correction system, that were on doing long sentences, which will never happen again, actually. We raised a bit of money, and the moral of the whole trip was it's not about us, it's about them, and how we can give back to the victims of what we've done, and also what other bad people have done to the victims. And oh, that was the first time we ridden a bike on mountain bikes, you know, big married boys with tattoos all over them, jeans on, jeans getting caught in their chains, bro, like in the main roads. Like, it will never happen again just for, you know, health and safety reasons. But, um, you know, I was like, I'm going to go and buy me a mountain bike. Bought a mountain bike. And and that's where, the, you know, the kind of this journey started to kind of sports and understanding about, um, wow, I can actually feel good on a bike, you know. Mm. And I'll tell you what, when people, people used to say to me, oh, you've just changed one addiction for the other. And I used to get quite upset for that, you know. And, oh, really? and I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? How are you? I did. Yeah. There's no victims when I ride a bike, and I, it is my addiction. I love it, and I love training. I love the feeling of it. I love the rain. I love sight crosswinds. I love a bunch. I love everything about it. I, I I love it, and it's beautiful, you know. So yeah, I have changed one addiction for another, you know. Yeah, but it's, um, well, it's just it's a different energy, isn't it? You just put your energy elsewhere, and it's a it's, you've obviously got a focus, and um, it's knowing to put into the right things, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and so, so there it's kind of like um, I, I was employed at uh, one of the rehabilitation centres and, you know, just loving life training and stuff like that. And I met a bunch of cyclists on a, on a Wednesday Wednesday, and I was out in Mochikara by myself. And see, still, this is a, probably about a year into recovery here, um, and still, like, 
these, this bunch caught up to me and I had my helmet on, you know, my cycling kit, you know, and absolute Bundy or Hubbard on the bike, you know, had angle socks on, but, you know, cyclists all about long socks, you know, just all that kind of... Bro, my, my first pair of shoes was a Lance Armstrong world champion Nikes. I was like, getting me a pair of Nikes. You know, I had an, uh, a Livestrong t-shirt on. Uh, I had a genius carbon fork bike. I was right into it. And um, this bunch of cyclists, uh, you know, they called up to me and they told me to jump on the back. And, uh, you know, I thought that meant piss off. You know? Oh, and really? They said, nah. Yeah. And okay. they go, nah, you didn't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, you know, alone I could ride for a number, say 30 k's an hour. Mm. But they were riding at 40 k's an hour as a group and, and rotate and pointing holes and s- such in formation. I was like, and I was sitting on going, it's easier sitting on. You know, I, I was amazed by it. And um, yeah, a guy, uh, Andrew Vincent, actually got my cell phone number and invited me back and texted me every Wednesday. So, you know, ride again 10 o'clock tomorrow at Mebury, Fend Alton over there. And, um, you know, and this guy's a surgeon, half of them were surgeon and pilot. And I was like, I was like, and there was ladies there, beautiful, nice people, and and I was too scared to stop at a coffee shop and take my helmet off to look them in the eye because I wasn't one of you, you know. Yeah. I was this little young offender that probably robbed your house. Yeah. You know, and I, I I was so scared and afraid that I wouldn't be able to fit in, you know, with the community. And um, you know, I tell you what, this, these beautiful people they they wrapped around me and they got me my first cycling coach, Hayes Ferguson. Um, took me to uh, Graham Nutridge, uh, amazing physio, beautiful family, wife Marie. Took me to my first race. I got a photo up there on the wall of him. Uh, he come, he biked to my house, entered me in the race, and bike, took me uh, to the race. First bike race. Wow. What the hell? You know what I mean? Number stickers on the helmet. Total <laughs> geek. You know, um, but gave me physio self cycling kit. You know, I was, and I was like, oh my god, I'm a sponsored athlete. You know, I'm not. But, <laughs> What, what he was doing was like, he was my next role model, you know, like he was my next father, giving me clothes and helping with stuff that I trusted that I was opening up to another man, you know, you know what I mean? So yeah. I started opening up and letting these people inside my life and from there, bro, it just went a bit crazy, you know, um, just started racing, enjoying it and, you know, getting beaten by, getting smashed by that ride and then slowly getting better and better. And then I started to understand that, wow, if you actually... If you actually put time and energy in trying to understand the sport, like a chess game and also nutrition and, you know, the right training, right times of the year and that kind of stuff, you can actually get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? By just changing one little thing, you can get way better. And 1% is worth a 1000 bucks, a 100000 at the top level. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I was fascinated by that. And uh, I was pretty determined. Um, my The work, they supported me and stuff like that. Um and yeah, that, it kind of just went on from there. Like I'm no top athlete and stuff, but I, I've been racing with the best of them, and I've won a few cool races, and I'm pretty proud of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like the Olympics or nothing, no, nothing but, like that. But, but you, you've uh, achieved some things you're really proud of. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I've met some beautiful, amazing people in the community along the way. And you know what I what I soon realised was that I was working with men, which I loved, but I was so hard because the core beliefs are so ingrained over mm. the years. And that was an awesome job, but I was always helping young people on the side. And I, I used to feel so good when I'd take a young guy on a walk or buy him a pair of shoes or food or something like that. And then I used to go around doing, you know, like keynote speaking and stuff like that um, just to get the message out there that people can change and you, community, can help do that. Uh, and in the audience was a guy named Andrew, and uh, he asked me, had lunch with him after, and uh, he says, you know, is there many more kids like you in the community? And I was like, holy shit, yeah, bro, there's thousands. 
Yeah, yeah, and th- and that and that runs into where what I do now. You know, he started a trust, Te Rangatahi Tumanako Trust, and with the Youth Hope Trust, which is helping young people from the correction system and the justice system, from Aurangi Tamariki and all the other programs in the community. And we try to use sport uh, as the bridge to try and change their lives. And, mm. you know, it's, 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 bro, it's like you're driving a station wagon your whole life and you're like, uh, you're collecting all the resentment, you're chucking in the back seat, the hatred, the, the all the stuff, and the whole station wagon's filled up. And, you know, we expect the kids to slam on the brakes and face, and it all comes in, in the front seat. And we, we expect them to face all that stuff and deal with all these emotions and stuff, the neglect, the abuse. You know, it doesn't work. It's a slow process. Mm. So that's why getting beside young people and uh, using sports and adventure therapy out here and letting them release it in their own time. And, you know, therapeutic moments appear. And when, when that it appears, you know, then you can talk. You know what I mean? And that's what my trust does you know that's what that's what we're about and it's not government funded it's from a family uh, and for me that is that that humbles me you know to know that people actually care it's not government funding people care they just want to help the community you know yeah. and uh yeah so that kind of sums up a lot of stuff in about 10 minutes but <laughs> you know like it's yeah it's, it's how we roll really so so just a couple of questions um what do you think of being the key aspects in your own change you know because a lot of people like yours is such an extreme example of change in, in such a powerful way yeah. um, there's a lot of people out here who are listening to this and you know their change is they just want to lose a bit of weight or they just want to get into exercise or they want to change some bad habits you know what do you, what do you just believe have been some of the keys to success for change in yourself um, and yeah. those kids that you do try to help yeah one of for, for me personally alcohol so right right now, like I'm fully in control of my mind, what I'm saying and this kind of stuff. But if you give me three or four beers or a whiskey or whatever you're into, you know, like you know, my 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 safety mechanisms they drop down, yeah. you know, and then I can, you know, I, I can tell you now if I was to get drunk and I was out with you or my partner um, or a friend, you know, I've got this this thing where I like to protect people, uh, which is a beautiful okay. thing. Yeah. Which is a beautiful thing. You know, if it's used for the right reasons. But if I'm drunk or under the influence, I go to the extremes. Okay. I, I will protect anybody that tries to hurt you or my partner. You know and, what I mean? And I imagine and you also see hurt that's not even there. So it's almost like you're looking for, you know, like a problem and then so you'll see something that yeah. doesn't even exist. Yeah. yeah. So understanding that alcohol and drugs put into my system is an it's an unsafe environment for everyone. So that's why I just choose black and white, no alcohol, yeah. no drugs. Yeah. That's an easy fix. The other thing is I had to understand that I, I taught myself all these behaviours because they kept me safe. Mm. I didn't want to let anybody in or near me, and I pushed them out, and I used anger and violence and drugs and alcohol to make myself feel better. Um, and I had to understand how, how it all came about, step by step. So that's why I say the moral inventory from the day I was born. Mm, what happened? Yeah. What, what, you know, I, yeah, and I had to face all that stuff and own it. Um, you know, the fear, the worry, the resentment, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, my hatred towards police, I had to understand they're just doing their job. Yeah. I was the one of the wrong, you know. Honesty, I had to learn about true honesty, you know. And that, and first of all, that, that's about looking within first, you know, mm-hmm. before I start looking out. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, like, same as the young guys we work with. You know, they've all been, they've all been, I don't look at the, you know, when you see a, when I see a young person walking down the street with a hoodie up and their hat down and walking all gangster, um, kicking a can or stealing a bike or something like that, like yeah, that's one hundred percent wrong. And it, you know, yeah. crimes are crimes and need to be charged. But 
what happened in the home, mm. sexual abuse, seeing their mum strangled, seeing the mum beaten, father, you know, killed, uh, foster homes his whole life. And these are all learnt behaviours, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to be really honest, bro, like these kids out there shoplifting for food because they've got no money or food. Yeah. It's all product of the environment. If you bring up a, I could bring up a Rottweiler or a Pitbull in my home and it'll be the most loving animal ever, mm. 100%. But if I brought him up in my home and I kicked him every day and I didn't feed him and I left him outside in the rain and shivering, he was alone in a corner chained up to a rope, mm. what do we think that dog's going to be? Yeah. That's going to that's gonna be a, a crazy, nutty dog. You know, mm. you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm not saying humans are like dogs, but... No, no, but yeah, just, it is that kind of, yeah. you know, you will be a reflection. It, it takes an exceptional person to break through that, and but most people are going to end up in a pretty bad place, aren't they? 100%. Yeah. And it's about understanding that, you know, and... And, and then and then so that 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 dog that's chained up and being treated in the rain and not and not fed it's, and it breaks through of that chain now it's out here in the community jumping every fence stealing food and trying to be warm and that's why it's doing that stuff you know mm. and so yeah so the young people like they've got all these behaviours and mm. then we've got to get beside them so they learnt behaviours over years yeah. So they're not going to change after a two-week program, no. you know, yeah. or an eight-week program. The behaviour has to be unlearned, and that's why, you know, we've we done the six-hour mountain bike race at um, uh, um, McLean's Island. McLean's Island. Yeah. We do it every year. That was one of the first events we've done, and, you know, a key example is this. One of the young Māori boys that we took there, real cool dude, um, amazing, actually. We're in a tent. There's probably like 20 people. Now, you still don't know, but there's probably five cops in there, a few retired police, you know, builders, you know, not just yep. normal people, and uh, not in uniform or nothing. And one of the naughty boys said to me, he's like, he's like, bro, um, that guy's left his wallet out. You probably want to tell him because one of those other fellas was looking at it. Uh-huh. And I was like, bro, no one's going to steal his wallet here, you know? Yeah. And he was like, what, you mean I can leave my stuff here? Wow. And they're not going to take my money because I've got $100 in there. I was like, bro, no one's going to steal your stuff. So they're bringing their core beliefs at home. Bad stuff happens, you know. They, you know, like I give kids clothes now, and they go, "Nah, take it with you because it'll get taken at home." Yeah, you see, yeah. it's stuff like that. And and because this is, you know, I'm not saying all the kids that I work with are like that at all. Because I, I work, you know, it's live. It's going to go public, so I don't want to throw everyone to yeah. the brush. But the reality is, is that that's what these young people are bring is are walking around with. Yeah. Um, and that's why we've got to get beside them. And I used to think, you know, like a year, my mate Dan Eastwood from Waipuna, good man, good man. He's all about adventure therapy and working side by side. Um, and it's like, I, I, and even Andrew, my boss, is like, man, we're, it's like a five-year thing. It's yeah. a 10-year thing. Yeah. It's about the working with the roller coaster of life, the ups and downs, because an eight-week program or a five-week program is, you know, that's awesome. And mm. there's funding for that, a lot of money just for that. But then there's nothing at the end of it. Yeah. And that's where we come in and we try and, that's why we've got a youth group on Wednesday, which, you know, five families help fund that, normal families, and they see the benefit of that. And that's where the community, you know, it's a community problem. These kids are coming out of the, the institutions and they're coming into our community. So, you know, what are we doing about it? You know, they're coming in with the same beliefs and the same friends and the same situations and let's try and change it, you know. Yeah. We've got to understand it. 
as the, as the key to change, you know? And it's interesting looking at your story because yours wasn't a defining moment. Like sometimes people do have a defining moment. that Something happens and I'm like, oh, shit, I need to change. Whereas yours was these kind of little trigger points and, and, and it allowed you to build trust in the world, allowed you to build esteem, allowed you to change your story. Um, and, and, you know, you got to a point where you are today, but it was actually kind of lots of little kind of moments that got you there, wasn't it? I, I think it was like more like Oh, wait, so you put your phone closer to your mouth? I, 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 it's, like, it's, like it's, a, it's like it's a safe. Yeah. Like, you put all the codes in, bro, and then it's like ching, 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 and then boom, it finally opens. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. And that's why I say to social workers, youth workers, psychologists, like, just because you're working with a guy that's like 12 or 5, 12, 15, 20, you know, every time we have a positive influence in a young person's life, they're, they're retaining that, that information. Mm-hmm. And when they do finally make change and that mo- that moment does come in their life, then all that stuff there it opens, like I say, far. all those people were right. Maybe I do need to stop smoking marijuana. Yeah. Maybe I do need to stop drinking alcohol. Holy hell, I shouldn't be doing crime. Maybe I better be a better father for my kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. Like, like $100,000 to keep a young person locked up a year, something like that, you yeah. know? And then those... Those people there have kids. They have three kids. They all go to jail. So it's, it's a generational thing. Yeah. So if we stop, say if we stop ten kids over over say two years, which has already happened, and all their kids are being brought up in a better home yeah. with food and and going to school was the main thing and learning and education and love in the home, then bro, it's it's amazing. You yeah. know, it, that's that's changing the generational. You know. It's not just that one person we're working with. It's the two people after. It's the next people, you know? Yeah. Um, what would you say to, um, you know, to Joe Public like myself uh, who just want to kind of help him some way? What, you know, like obviously he's donating and stuff, but like he isn't just like, what do you think helps? I'd say the micro-conversations. Like for, it starts with micro-conversations that, yeah, read the paper, you're in a group of people. Oh, that little shit, I'll lock him up for years, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, do we know his background? So that's on like a community thing, you know, around your peers. Well, hey, there's two sides to this. Yeah, it's wrong, but what can we do about that? Yeah. I would say get behind a trusted charity um, that you believe in, that you see making change in the community, yeah. namely Te Rangatai Tumarako, chair. No. <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and go, go to people who are actually on the street, on the front lines, who are so passionate about making change in people's lives. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I used to say to people, bro. Like, and I say this quite a lot, actually. That it takes passionate, passionate people to change people's lives, mm. and I lived by that for a long time. And then I realised before that it takes money because without money we can't buy food, we can't go to the movies, we can't run the youth group, we can't drive a car to pick someone up. I can't get someone's yeah. learner's license restricted, and, and then all those little things, bro, are like filling that 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 self esteem that they don't have much of. It's giving this little one percent. You add one percent up uh, enough, and it's going to add to a hundred percent. You get what I'm saying? Mm. So it's about like not just liking on Facebook and sharing and stuff like that. And it's about it's about if, bro. If I got a hundred people giving twenty bucks each uh, a month, a week, ten dollars, whatever it is, you know, I know what I could do with that. I could make a lot of change. You know, so it's yeah. about that kind of stuff there. And if you're good at a skill and you've got time, you've got free time then go and find something that you can give time to and give back to the community. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so much stuff you can do. It's just not funny, you yeah. know? Um, but don't try and be a social worker yourself if you haven't got an experience in it, well, you know? Skill, like, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to kind of understand, like, you know, you have to understand. Yeah, totally. Hey, um, love your work. You're bloody, you're, you're, you're an inspiration in so many ways, and, and I just love the passion you have for this and um, the impact you're having on your world. Just if people do want to follow your work, where do they go? Oh, trt.org.nz. We've got a website, Andrew saw a website for us. I'm pretty sure, like, if people want to donate or help out or find out more about us, you can go on there. Like, I'm on Facebook. You can add me a friend on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook. Um, They've got a Facebook page, Chirangatahi Tumarako. Go and like that. You can look back and see the races and events that we do. Um, Yeah, I guess just stuff like that, really. Well, um, I'll put a link to that in in the show notes for people if you want to go support what they're doing there. Just thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's just um, what a fascinating life story, but also I love that how you've used your story to actually make the world a better place in a, in a much bigger way. And it's kind of, I love this idea of what's your body of work. And uh, I imagine when you get to the end of your life, you look at a body of work that's been pretty phenomenal. So um, keep it up, mate. It's bloody awesome. Man. Yeah. Awesome, bro. Kia ora, kia I have to be 100% honest here. I am actually recording this bit before I did the interview. So you've listened to the interview yet. At this moment in time, I'm not sure what happened in the interview, but I'm sure it's a pretty amazing interview. So if you enjoy Rion's work, I'm sure he would have shared where you could follow him in there. Um, I'll share a link to it in the show notes. Um, Yeah, good stuff. Um, that's pretty much today's show done and dusted. If you want to support me in what I'm doing, just go to Bevan James Isles. The new website's up soon. It should be up in the next week or so. I guarantee by the time we do the next podcast, the next podcast I've got something really, a really, really powerful tool. I did a podcast a few, or maybe a few episodes ago which with a tool that I thought was really great. And then recently I've added another level to it. And I've got to be honest – it's been really powerful for me and, and my clients, I've got to be honest. Um, it's kind of transforming me. Like it may be one of the most powerful tools I've ever used. Um, so it's going to be accumulation, a combination of, not accumulation, a combination of what we did a couple episodes ago, but it's adding another layer to it. And, and by another couple of weeks from now, I would have sat in this tool for a little bit longer. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, in a couple weeks' time. If you want to email me, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. And if you want to spread the love about the show, just send it out to your world. Um, you can, you know, Facebook, social media, all those things. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys in a couple of weeks' time where, yeah, I'm really excited about the next episode. <laughs> I want to talk about it now, but I've got to control myself. So I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks' time. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep being you. That's how I finish this show. See ya.